church? Okay, we're going to try that again. Good morning, church. Glad you're here. I know today seemed somewhat heavy, so maybe we just need to take a breath, right? Just take a breath, because what we're saying is still true, isn't it? Is God still good? Is God still good? He is. And so today, we're going to continue in our series called Prayer Unleashed, because the reason the point of the series is this, is that we feel like when we pray, when the people of God begin to pray, it unleashes the power of God in our hearts and in our lives. In fact, one of the things that we said from the very beginning a couple weeks ago in the series is one of the things we all struggle with, that while we all might say prayer is crucial, prayer is essential, the reality is many of us aren't carving time out to pray. We think it's crucial, we think it's essential, but we're not spending the time that we should be spending crying out to our Heavenly Father. And so part of this series has been trying to help us find that motivation. And so one thing we've done, which is kind of silly on the one end, but hopefully you kind of pick up on this, is that I, I'm now a model, in case you didn't know. I'm now a model of this amazing shirt called How Can I Pray For You? I don't know why you're laughing, but I am this amazing model. So how can I pray for you? And this idea came from, and, and Rachel and Casey designed this shirt, was that as, you know, when I wear my Love God, Love People shirt, I wear my He Has Risen shirt out and about, I'm always getting people going, hey, I like your shirt. And it's always discussion starts. And so we thought if we're going to be talking about prayer and we want to motivate people to pray, how about we just put the question on your chest and when you're out and about, someone goes, hey, Chris, I like that shirt. Now you feel this great accountability to ask this question. Well, how can I pray for you? Right? Why? Because prayer is important. So if you want one of these shirts for like five bucks or out the lobby, if we run out, we'll get more. But this is just a way for you and I to put it on ourselves, walk out to the world and go, listen, we're a people that care. And if you're struggling, because listen, when you go into Publix, are you going to Walmart? Are you go into any place? Are there people there that are struggling? Come on, are there people that are struggling? Man, you better believe they're struggling. And this shirt might just be the very thing that they need to see. You might be the very person they need to encounter to say, would you pray for me? So we're going to provide these shirts. If you want one, they're five bucks. But here's the thing. The reason we're doing this is because I want us to be motivated to pray. Prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is our connection to our Heavenly Father. And some of you might say, well, Doug, I just don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. You do. You know how to talk. And if you know how to talk, you know how to pray. Prayer is only expressing the, your heart and your desire to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to hear from you. That's it. That's what prayer is. And so we want prayer to be something that's important to us. And so we began this series going, if we want to motivate people to pray, maybe we need to start with this question. Why do we pray? Why is it important to pray? And so we started with, well, there's three reasons important. One is because when you pray, it demonstrates your dependence on God. When you pray, you're not informing God of what's going on. You're involving God into your life. You're saying, God, I need what? You. Prayer is also aligning our hearts with his will. See, when I pray, unfortunately, many of us, when we pray, we treat God like a vending machine, right? You put your change in, you push the button, and you expect to come out what you push the button to get, right? Like if I push a Diet Coke and a Diet Pepsi comes out, I'm offended, right? Because I want a Diet Coke. I didn't want Diet Pepsi because it tastes flat all the time. I wanted a daggum Diet Coke. That's what I wanted when I pushed the button. And that's how we treat God. We push the button and we expect what we want to come out. But when we pray, we're not asking God to change his mind, we're asking God to do what? Change my mind. That's why we pray. And then last week we said, if we're going to be people that pray, maybe there's some different kinds of prayers that will be part of our life. 
And so last week we talked about the prayer of surrender. As if you're a believer in the room, one of the prayers that need to be part of our life is the prayer of surrender, saying, God, what are the areas of my life that I need to relinquish to you? What are the areas of my life that I need to yield to you? Is it my doubts? Is it my fears? Is it my agenda? Whatever it is, God, what do I need to surrender to you? And today we're going to talk about another area that we need to add as far as a prayer life and our prayer life. And that is we oftentimes not only need to pray a prayer of surrender, we need to learn to pray a prayer of brokenness. Does anybody like to be broken? It's not fun. But when I say pray a prayer of brokenness, I'm talking about realizing you're at the end of yourself and you do the only thing you know to do. Just cry out to God. You're in great despair, great distress, and you are at the end of your rope. And you just cry out to your Heavenly Father. And many of us in the room, we need to learn and know what it means to pray a prayer of brokenness. So today, I want us to look at a guy. And I want us to look at a guy, and I want us to look at the prayer of a prodigal guy whose name was Jonah. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. If you don't know where it's at, please look at your table of contents. There's no shame in that. But the book of Jonah. Now, just kind of bring you up to speed. When I talk about Jonah, oftentimes, we immediately only focus on chapter 1. And really, the first five verses. Because the first five verses of chapter 1 tell us a large portion of the story of Jonah. And if you don't know the story, I'm going to tell you real quick before we get into the main passage, which is in chapter 2. In Jonah chapter 1, we find out that there's this guy named Jonah that God calls out and says, Jonah, I want you to go to this people known as the Ninevites. I want you to go to the town of Nineveh, and I want you to preach a message because I want to do a work in their life. Now, what you need to know about that is Nineveh and the Ninevites were the arch enemy of God's people, the Israelites. They hated each other. So Jonah being told, hey, Jonah, you're one of my people from my nation. I want you to go over here, and I want you to preach a message to the people that everybody hates because I want to do a work in their life. Do you think Jonah was excited about that? Come on, do you think Jonah was excited about that? No, not at all. So what did Jonah do? Not a rhetorical question. What did he do? He ran, right? Jonah ran. In fact, he ran the opposite direction. If you were to take the location where Jonah was at, and, he, and if he would have gone to where God told him, it was about 700 miles that direction. But Jonah set sail for a place called Tarshish, which was 3,000 miles away from where God wanted him. Let me put it in context. Basically, he was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he decided that he was going to come to Orlando, Florida, and to get to go to Los Angeles. There's 2,540 miles between where you're sitting today and Los Angeles, California. And that's how far Jonah was going to run from God. So he really did not want to do what God called him to do, did he? And not only did he run from God, not only did he run the opposite direction, he also paid a toll. And the Bible says in chapter 1 that he paid a fare to get into a boat that would take him the opposite direction. He so badly wanted to get out of the presence of God, he not only ran the opposite way, he paid whatever it cost him. I don't care what it costs. I'm getting away from the presence of God. And not only did he run, not only did he pay a toll, guess what else he did? He got on a ship and he endangered the lives of everybody else on that ship just so he could run from God. So I think we can conclude Jonah did not want to do what God asked him to do. And then God steps in. Verse 17 of chapter 1 says, And then God appointed or provided a great fish. And what did the fish do to Jonah? Come on, come on, church. What did the church do to Jonah? Swallowed him. Now, I know some of you out there are the skeptics. You're like, do you really believe that there's this humongous large fish 
possibly a well that swallowed him all whole, and he really was in there three days and three nights? And my answer is, you better believe I believe that. I believe it from the soles of my feet to the top of my head. I believe with every fiber of my being. God, my God is just that big. And so God provided this great fish that swallowed Jonah, and it's in the belly of the fish. As he's being digested, Jonah prays. And I want us to look at the prayer of Jonah. And what I want to see this morning, just for a few short minutes, is I want us to see some lessons that we can learn from the prayer of a prodigal. And the first lesson is found in verse 1 and 2. Look with me in verse 1 and 2. You can stay seated this morning. It says this. Then, this is what the Word of God says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying this. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, the lesson we're going to learn in these first two verses is simple, and here it is, that when we live a life of rebellion to God, it always leads to distress. When you and I choose to abandon what God has said and choose to live life our way on our agenda and our time schedule doing what we want and we desire, it will always lead to distress. This word distress in the Hebrew just means this. It leads to sorrow and pain. Do you think Jonah was sorrowful in the belly of the fish? Do you think he felt pain and agony for being in the belly of this fish? Sure he did. And I just want you to hear as we unpack this, that the reality is this, is that when you and I choose, when you and I choose to rebel against the Lord, it will always lead to distress. Now, what was Jonah distressed about? Let's go back to it. Look what he was distressed about. He says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the great fish. Jonah was distressed about a situation, wasn't he? I mean, think about it. When's the last time you were swallowed by a great fish? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody, right? So one reason that Jonah was distressed was his situation. He was distressed about a situation. He felt sorrow and pain for why he was at where he was at. He's in the belly of this great fish. In fact, he says this. He makes a comment, and he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol. That word Sheol translates, could translate hell, but in this passage, it means grave. He's like, I'm in my grave. Life is coming to an end. I mean, just think about it. Come on, let's not be gross, but let's be honest. He's been in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Do you think he's beginning to be digested by the great fish? You think the digestive process is beginning to happen to the great fish? You know, I mean, do you, you catch any moment where Jonah's like, you know what, I'm going to crawl out of this fish and get myself out? No, no, no. I mean, he's being He's in the belly, and he is distressed about a situation. He's at the end of his own life. But you know what else Jonas knows? He knows this. Probably the ultimate reason he's distressed about a situation is he knows this. He brought it on himself. He did. In chapter 1, you know what he did? He told the sailors to throw him overboard because he knew that God was the one doing this. Just, it's, it's my fault. <laughs> the reason this boat's about to sink, it's all on me. Throw me overboard. And so Jonah, at the very fibers being knew that while he was distressed about his situation, he didn't enjoy being in the belly of the fish. He felt like he was in his own grave crying out to the Lord. At the end of the day, he knew that he was in distress because he brought this situation on himself. He rebelled. And now he's being disciplined. Now, just real quick. 
oftentimes in my life and probably your life, we experience distress, sorrow, and pain. But I'm going to tell you what most of us do, which is wrong. We like to point the finger at everybody else. It's your reason I'm here where I'm at. It's your fault, the reason I'm going through this. It's your fault. We want to blame everybody else. And that's not new, is it? It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Didn't they, they all blame somebody else? We all will do that. But what we learn here is that the reality is, instead of blaming everybody else for what's going on in your life, maybe I'll look in the mirror and go, what was my part? What was my role? Is it possible that I am here in this position because I made the wrong choices? I know I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. Where you find yourself in your relationship to the Lord today is a direct result of your decisions, nobody else's. You're exactly where you positioned yourself to be. If you're walking intimately with the Lord, it's because you position yourself that way. If you're walking away from the Lord, it's because you position yourself that way. Because the Lord loves you and wants you and wants to embrace you. But you are exactly at the place spiritually where you have positioned your life. So if you don't like it, change it. He was in distress about a situation. And then he was also in distress about God's discipline. Look with me in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the sea, and flooded surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me. They said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall again I shall look at the holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. In other words, God, I knew you were going to discipline me. But this is a little extreme. God, I knew you were going to do it, but did you pick up on what he said? You throw me into the deeps. It was your waves that consumed me. It was your billows that overtook me. It was you whose presence I was kicked out of. I mean, what's Jonah doing here? Do you see the pain and the sorrow and the agony of Jonah going, hey, God, I knew you were going to discipline me because I told the sailors, it's my fault that we're here. But God, this, this discipline, it's tough. When I was a kid, my dad always said something, and you probably say this too to your kids, if you spanked, if not, that's a whole other sermon we'll talk about. But, you know, if you spank, I'm not saying bad, but I'm saying if you do spank, your parents probably said something like this. This is going to hurt me. What? And as a kid, you thought, you're a liar. <laughs> as a parent, you got it, didn't you? You got it. And I think there's a moment in Jonah where he's just like, God, I'm in so much despair because I feel like you're the one that cast me in the waters. It's been your waves. It's been your bellows. God, I've been kicked out of your presence. I mean, you can just get a sense that he is in distress and filled with pain and sorrow. And I just want to tell you something before we move on. When we choose to live a life of rebellion against God, what else should we expect? We're going to be in a place of distress. We're going to be filled with sorrow and pain. And so the first lesson we learn is that when we rebel against God, it always leads to distress. The second lesson we learn is also found in verse 1 and 2. Let's go back to it and read it. Then the word of the Lord came to, um, I'm sorry, then, and the Lord appointed the great fish. And then in verse 1, then Jonah prayed, and the Lord said to God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out my distress, um, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice. Listen, the second lesson is this, that prayers of brokenness are always heard by God. 
Prayers of brokenness are always heard by God. Do you think Jonah was broken? Come on, church. Do you think he was broken? I mean, think about it. You were running from God, and now you're in the belly of a fish with all the other fish, smaller fish, all the acid, all the nastiness, and you're being died. I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. You're in, I mean, you are in distress because of your rebellion. When you read this prayer, do you read some brokenness in Jonah? He's broken, isn't he? But the prayers of brokenness are always heard by God. This man was broken. But here's what I want you to notice about this. When he was broken, what did he do? And the heart of his brokenness, what did Jonah choose to do? Cry out to God. Now, many of us, when we are broken, what do we do? We try to figure it out. We try to reason it out. Some of you are intellects. I'm not one of those, but you're an intellect, and you think you can figure your way out through it, and what you find out is it doesn't work, right? And in his distress, in his brokenness, what did Jonah do? Jonah, while we can look at him and we can, throw, we can kind of throw shade on Jonah, going, look, what, what was Jonah thinking? Why would he run from God? And we can pick at Jonah. The reality is, in the heart of his brokenness, what did Jonah do? He turned to God. And some of you this morning are broken. Some of you are filled with pain and sorrow, and you've been turning everywhere else. Jonah had nobody else because he was in the belly of fish, but you've been turning everywhere else, right? You've been turning to coworkers. You've been turning to your parents. You've been turning to your spouse. You've been turning to maybe friends. You've been turning everywhere. But when are you going to stop and turn to the Lord? Because you pick up on what he said, when I cried out to the Lord, he heard me. Does God hear you when you pray? You better believe he does. In fact, Exodus chapter 3, I love it. It says that God heard the cries of his people. And what did God do? He raised up Moses. Does God hear your prayers? Absolutely. You know why he hears your prayers? Because he's not done with you. He loves you. And if you think about why did God hear the prayers of this prodigal? I mean, think about it. Here's a guy that God has raised up, said, I want you to do this task. And Jonah goes, got it. And he runs the opposite direction. And he pays to go the opposite direction. He puts in danger the lives of those as he goes the opposite direction. And now he finds himself in the belly of the fish. Wouldn't it have been easy for God to go, what? Just be, be digested and it's all on you, Jonah. Wouldn't it have been easy for God to wash his hands of Jonah and say, I'm done with you, Jonah? Wouldn't it have been easier to go, you know, if you're going to run the opposite way, I'll raise someone else up to do the very thing I want done. Wouldn't it have been easier for God to be discounted and just marginalize Jonah? Yes. So why did God hear Jonah's prayer of brokenness? Why? Because he loved him. He loved him. And God, while Jonah had given up on himself, God had not given up on Jonah. Now some of you here this morning, man, you're filled with some grief, some pain, and some sorrow. Maybe some of you here this morning, you have been running from God. Maybe you don't know Christ, or maybe you do know Christ, and you've still been running from God, and you feel like you've done too much, you've said too much, you've experienced too much, you've run too far, you've done too many bad things. And I want to tell you this morning that if God will take the prodigal Jonah and do with him what we're about to see in just a moment, he will do the same thing with you. You are not written off by God. God doesn't look at you and go, you know what? I can't tolerate him anymore. I'm done with him. No, God loves you and cares for you and has a purpose for your life, even when you don't see it. So the lesson we learn is, yes, when we rebel against God, it always leads to distress. But the second lesson is this, is that prayers of the brokenness are always heard by God. And let me show you a third lesson. Look at me in verse 3 through 6 again. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the sea, 
and the flood surrounded me. All your ways and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away in your, from your sight. Yet I shall again look to, upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. Yet, everybody say yet. Yet, yet you brought up my life from the pit. See, brokenness also leads to awareness and clarity. In the moment that we are most broken, when we cry out to the Lord, if we will cry out to Him and depend on those are the moments in most of our lives where we see the greatest amount of awareness and clarity. If you didn't know much about the story, and I ask you who threw Jonah into the water, you would probably say it was the sailors, right? But it's Jonah, if you read the story, Jonah is aware, first and foremost, that God is the one who provided the fish. God provided the fish. You pick up on what he said there, he said, but you have brought me up out of the pit. In other words, God, this was all your doing. This was you at work, God. The sailors were just tools that God used. God wanted to bring Jonah to the end of himself. So he provided a fish to swallow him whole. Now think about that. Is that a drastic measure that God would go to just to get Jonah's attention? Come on, is that pretty drastic? Do you think he'll do the same thing for you? Do you think he'll do the same thing for me? Sure he would. And I want to tell you something. I know we talk a lot about here, but I hope it's something we never forget about around here. It's this, that when God disciplines his children, just like God disciplined Jonah, when God disciplines his children, he never disciplines to pay them back. He disciplines to bring them back. When you punish your kids, are you doing it because you're fed up, you're done, and you're writing them off? Are you doing it because you want to bring them back? You want them to know what obedience looks like. You want them to know what, what it looks like to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to you and to the Lord. I mean, why do you discipline your kids? To bring them back. See, God wanted Jonah to get to the end of himself, not to pay him back, but to bring him back. God wanted Jonah to associate rebellion with pain. You rebel pain's coming. And so Jonah, for the first time as we read this, when he says these words, but you, yet you brought me up from the pit. It's Jonah's awareness that it was God who did all this. God had orchestrated the great fish. Even in his rebellion, God had been the one masterminding everything. And not only was he aware now he sees things clearly for the first time. Look at me over seven and eight. Look how he sees things differently. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Here's what Jonah sees clearly. First of all, he sees clearly that my life was fading away. In the middle of being in the belly of this fish, man, I was fading away. But I remembered you. I clearly saw that I was in a bad way. And that you were the only one who could help me. Do we know that this morning? That if we find ourselves in a bad way, if we find ourselves filled with pain and sorrow, that there is one person who can help us and his name is Jesus? Do we know that this morning? 
See, Jonah knew that. Jonah knew in the middle of death knocking on his door, God, you're the only one that can rescue me. God, you're the only one that can save me. And for the first time, Jonah saw that clearly. Look what else he saw clearly. He also saw this idea that when I invest in vanity, look what he says in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope. In other words, when I invest in vanity, I miss the provision of God in my life. Now for him, what was vanity? He talks about vain idols. Well, what was Jonah's idol in this story? It was his will. His will trumped God's will, right? His will was what he put on the throne of his life, and he ignored God's will. And so that was his idol. And what Jonah realizes is that when I invested in that, I began to miss out on God's provision in my life. See, if you think about it, why did God want to send Jonah to Nineveh? Because the Ninevites were evil, and God wanted to save these evil people. And what Jonah became clear about was he was no better than the Ninevites. He had also rebelled against God. Isn't that evil too? Sure it is. And he became keenly aware that now he's no better than the Ninevites. And he began to focus on what he wanted to the exclusion of what God wanted for him. Now here's what Jonah ultimately saw clearly. And I want you to hear me. He saw clearly that he had turned his back on God's love for his life. When we rebel, are we turning our back on God's love for us and his provision and protection? You are. I have three boys. I love them all equally, even though David's my favorite. But anyway, that's beside the point. I'm just kidding, but it's true. But anyway, no, I love them all. I love all my boys. And I want to keep them close to me as long as I possibly can, and I want to protect them from all that I can. But when they, if they, were, when they were younger, if they just lived in rebellion, there's only so far I'm going to let my protection go. At some point, you got to go, you know what? If you're going to choose to go down that path, you're going to deal with the consequences. I, can't, I can, but I'm not going to rescue you every time because at some point, you've got to learn some lessons. At some point, you've got to experience the weight of the decisions that you're making. So as a parent, is that not a hard thing that you have to navigate is what is the limit? Where do I stop? Where, do, where does my protection provision stop? And where does the consequences come in? Sure it is. But Jonah now sees that. Jonah now understands that God has been protecting him. And when he ignored God and he rebelled against God, he was turning his back on God's love. And so what Jonah saw clearly was this that when we invest in vanity, things that don't matter, we are ignoring God's love for our life. But if we invest in what matters most, which is his will, not ours, then we're able to embrace God's love, provision, and protection for our lives. Now, there's one more lesson I want us to learn here. Yes, brokenness leads to awareness and clarity, but this is the most important lesson in the whole passage. Look with me in verse 9. But I, this is Jonah talking, with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Can you see a pivot in the prayer that Jonah is praying? This prayer of distress, this prayer of, a prayer of pain, this prayer of sorrow, this prayer of brokenness, this prayer of awareness, this prayer of clarity has turned into a whole different kind of prayer, hasn't it? And the last lesson we learned from verse 9 is this, is that there is, if you're a prodigal child, there is always a way back. Always a way. If you're a prodigal child and you've walked away from God, there is always a way back. Listen, did God change Jonah's heart? 
Come on, did God change Jonah's heart? Yes. Now, don't read chapter 3 and 4 until later because Jonah goes backwards. But in this moment, God changed his heart. And Jonah's heart goes from pain and sorrow. Look what he says. But now, with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God has changed his heart. And now he's saying, God, I want to offer you a voice of thanksgiving. Now, God, I want to praise you. I know I'm still in the belly of this fish. Death could still be around the corner. But my sorrow and my pain has led me to brokenness. And in my brokenness, I've seen your love for me more clearly than I've ever seen it. My awareness of what's going on is more clear than it's ever been. So God, here's my story now. I want to praise you and give thanksgiving to you. Knowing that, God, I want to make sacrifices and vows to you. In other words, I want to make a new commitment to you, Lord. But then he says this most powerful thing. He says, this, salvation belongs to the Lord. He says, I finally realize and know that God always is the one who disciplines and restores. God is the one who disciplines, but he also restores. And I want us to know this morning, as we wrap this prayer of Jonah up, this prodigal prayer of Jonah, that these are lessons we all need to learn too. That when we live in rebellion against God, there will be distress. There will be pain. There will be sorrow. And in the middle of that brokenness, if we will turn to the Lord, God will give us an awareness about how he's working, a clarity about how much he loves us than we've ever had before. Because ultimately, here's what God wants you to know, that if you're a prodigal this morning, there is always a way, what? Back. Let's say it together. There's always a way back. You see it all the way through Scripture. One of the closest guys to Jesus, whose name was Peter, rebelled against. He denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And then in John chapter 21, Jesus goes reinstates him because he wants Peter to know, I love you, I care about you, I've not written you off. And Peter, there is a way back. And I want you to know this morning, wherever you find yourself, there is a way back. But what we need to do is what Jonah did. We need to pray a prayer of brokenness to the Lord. And maybe this morning you're a follower of Jesus and you've been rebelling against the Lord. Would you come home? Just come home. Hey, listen, don't even clean yourself up spiritually. Just come home. Hey, don't, don't mend anything because it's still broken. Just come home. Let God do what God does best. God will clean you up. God will mend what's broken. Just come home. Just come home and say, God, would you break me? God, would you fill me? And God, would you restore me? Because I'm telling you, no matter how far you run, if you're a believer, God's not done with you. God has not written you off. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Would you just come home? And if you're here this morning and you never trusted Christ, can I tell you the most important prayer you can pray? Is the prayer of salvation. Because the beautiful thing about the story of Jonah is this, and it's the same story for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've said. I don't care what you've not believed. If you will come to a place where you will acknowledge that there's a God in heaven who loves you, and even though you've lived a life apart from him, he wants you to come back to him. He wants you to come to him. He's willing to take you in. And it's as simple as praying a prayer of salvation. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I blow it. I know that I've said things and done things and thought things that violate your word. But I'm going to ask you, would you forgive me for my sins, Jesus? Would you come into my life? 
and save me and change me. And I'm telling you, if that's you this morning and you're willing to say those words, it can't be my words, it's got to be the cry of your heart. If you will say those things, he will come into your life. He will save you and he will change you from the inside out. But can I tell you the best part? The best part is this, is that one day when you leave this world, if you make that decision and if you leave this world, you can know that you will spend for all eternity with Jesus in heaven. So what prayer this morning do you need to pray? A prayer of salvation or a prayer of brokenness? If you need to come this morning, in just a moment, this altar is going to be open. You can come kneel with these very uncomfortable steps, and you can just pray before God. Say, God, I need you. I need your intervention in my life. Maybe you need to slide off to the side, and, and Kelly and, and, and Jason will be over here, and Pat and Willie will be over behind the curtains. You just need somebody to pray for you. But wherever you find yourself this morning, I believe with every fiber I'm being, one of the prayers that need to be part of our lives as Christians is not just a prayer of surrender but a prayer of brokenness. God, I'm at the end of myself. I desperately need you. God, you're disciplining me, and it seems kind of harsh, but I know you've got a plan. God, I know you've not given up on me. God, while I've written myself off, I know you've never written me off. God, I thank you that there's always a way back to you. I'm just telling you, some of us need to pray that this morning. Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just stand together. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for Coach Piccolo and Coach Harmon joining us today. God, my heart is so broken for them. God, I, I pray that you could help me and us as a church shoulder and carry some of that burden for them. But God, I pray this morning for us that we'd recognize that maybe one of the prayers that's going to be part of our life is the prayer of brokenness. The prayer of a prodigal like Jonah who spent some time running from you, walking away from you, doing life on our own, the way we see fit, the way we want things. And God, when we do that, we need to know that when we choose to live life our way and to the exclusion of how you want us to live, there will be discipline. We will find pain and sorrow will greet us. But God, when that pain and sorrow comes out of our rebellion, I pray that that would lead us to brokenness. And that brokenness, God, would lead us to a place of being aware of how much you love us and see clearly how you're working on our behalf. God, I thank you this morning that no matter where we find ourselves, that there is a way back home to you. No ifs, no ands, no buts. God, the imagery in my head is the story of the prodigal son who ran away, and when he returned, you're the father in the story who represents you, Lord, he went running to kiss the son. He didn't re- rebuke him. He didn't browbeat him. He just went and embraced him and kissed him and welcomed him home. God, and I think that's what you want to do this morning for those that have been prodigals, those that are wrestling with doing life their way. But God, I also think you want to embrace and kiss and love those who need to pray the prayer of salvation, who just need to simply acknowledge that they're a sinner and they believe Jesus died for our sin and was that perfect sacrifice and to put our faith and trust in him. So God, however you want to move this morning, would you do that? And may we be faithful to respond. God, I love you. 
And I thank you for all that you do. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Now just real quickly. Maybe you want to come pray. Just get alone with God. It's here. Jason and Kelly right over there by the curtain. It's opened up. Pat and Willie right over there. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. The Bible says, Scripture says, that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. These people love Jesus and their prayers are going to matter to the Lord. So maybe you need to seek out that. Maybe you want to come write your request down and put it on the board and say, I want people to pray for me. But however you need to pray this morning, prayer of brokenness, prayer of salvation, whatever it is, would you be faithful to make that decision? And if today your prayer is that prayer of salvation, when you leave today, would you just grab me by the arm and say, hey, Doug, I need to talk to you. Today I gave my life to Jesus. Today I said yes to him. And I'm going to be honest, if that's your story, we're probably going to hoop and holler a little bit. We're going to celebrate. You know why? Because now you've passed from death to life. And now you're going to have a home in heaven with Jesus. And quite frankly, that's worth celebrating more than any college football or our professional football game in the world. And we're going to celebrate together. So if that's your decision, let us know that. But wherever you find yourself this morning, let's just respond as Lord prompts our heart as we worship.